Well, we are in the book of Jonah, and uh, we've been kind of enjoying the, the uh, journey of Jonah. If you missed any of the sermons, remember, you can always go catch up on YouTube. Uh, also, we podcast, so if you have a podcast app on your phone, or if you go to the church website, you can listen to sermons. If you podcast, you can actually listen to my sermons going back like 10 years. Like There's a lot of content there, um, but if you miss a sermon, you can definitely catch up. We're in the book of Jonah, and just we want to do a little bit of recap today because we're heading into chapter three of Jonah. And you, you may in your you may want to have your Bible open or your Bible on your phone to Jonah three. Um, but to understand Jonah, you got to understand the kind of the layout of the book. It's kind of important here because most of us, when we think of the book of Jonah, we think of the first half where Jonah doesn't want to go. He ends up in the belly of a fish. Fish. is that, The word is actually fish. It's not whale. And even if it was a whale, everybody, you don't have air in your stomach. Air goes in your lungs. So even if you swallowed by a whale, it doesn't really help the story get less miraculous. Still pretty amazing. Okay. He's in the belly of a fish and, that's, and then he gets vomited back out. And that is normally where the story ends for us. But the actual book of Jonah, you're halfway. Okay. There's still a lot more story to happen. So, so in the first half, God tells go, Jonah to go to this great city, city of Nineveh, but Jonah doesn't go. Instead, he goes to the coast, he gets on a board to another city called Tarshish, he goes the opposite direction and runs into trouble. First, God has these storms that start threatening to tear apart the ship. And actually, it's kind of funny how it works out. There's these pagan sailors, they worship all kinds of other gods, they don't worship the one true God. But yet, because of Jonah... And this whole situation, they end up praising God. I mean, there's like actual conversion. It's almost like God is saying, Jonah, you may want to go the other way, but I'm going to use you as a prophet anyway. Okay, so we've got these pagan sailors that, that start, start praying to the Lord. And then there's this miraculous natural phenomenon, right, of this fish swallowing Jonah. He stays alive in the fish for three days, three nights, and he prays this prayer to God. Now, when we get to the second half of Jonah, what you're going to find is the pattern is rather the same. Okay, so what's going to happen here is God's going to again say to Jonah, Jonah, go to that great city, Nineveh, because he didn't go the first time. This time, Jonah is going to go, and we're going to see the reaction today of Nineveh, that this pagan people that don't know God, that don't follow God, are going to actually respond in some ways to Jonah's message. Okay, so everybody see how the sailors are going to kind of parallel what, uh, what's going to happen in Nineveh. Then there's going to be this other natural phenomenon that we're going to talk about next week of this plant that God grows. And we're going to have another prayer of Jonah that's very different from the first prayer. But does everybody see the parallel? It's like we're kind of doing the same story over again, but still with a lingering question of why doesn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? There's like this kind of blank. And next week, we're finally going to get to that answer. Okay, so we're in Jonah 3, and if you were here, it's going to sound a lot like Jonah chapter 1, because the call comes back to Jonah again. So Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Much better choice this time, right? Rise and go to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, 
going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, the least of them. So let's stop there. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Again, same message, but this time Jonah listens. Now, Jonah, uh, Nineveh is called a great city. It's called a great city because of its size. It's not a great place to live. It's a very violent, very rough, really like some people have actually called it historically a terroristic state. The way they ruled people and the way they dominated people. It's not a great place to be, particularly as a foreigner. But uh, it's great, not because it's good. It's great because it's pretty big. Now, we, we don't actually think the Bible here is saying that it would take you three days to walk all the way across it. I mean, you could walk a walk across about any large city in a day in America today. Okay? What it probably means is more like the greater, like we would talk about the greater Pittsburgh area. So not just the city, but like all the people are connected to this place would take you days to go through and see it all, right? And so Jonah goes in, it says he goes in about a day's journey. So he goes about a third of the way in. And then he starts to profess. The, and the picture on the cover of your bulletin is a picture that somebody painted or somebody drew of Jonah proclaiming in Nineveh this message. And you, you got to just picture this for a second, okay? This foreign person, hopefully he showered after being in a fish for three days, has come into the city and starts yelling, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, okay? Um, Nineveh is like the toughest guy on the block, okay? Nineveh doesn't get overthrown by anybody, okay? Nineveh beats everybody else up. And so now this foreign prophet comes in and just starts yelling this. I'm always finding it interesting that text says that um, Jonah is supposed to arise and, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. Uh, but we don't actually have God telling Jonah the message. I always wonder, is, is, he, is he obeying here? Right? Is he giving the message that God told him? Or is he like 40 days and you are wiped out? Like, was that God's message? Or did that come from Jonah? Um, there may be some hint here that there's some grace. Number one, the, the, the number 40 is, in the Bible, a, a, a number of repentance, of returning, of preparation. Okay? In Noah, it rains 40 days. Israel spends 40 years in the desert. Jesus fasts for 40 days. 40 is this number of preparation and reconciliation. It's a time to get things right. That's why we talk about Advent. That's why we talk about Lent. And so to give them 40 days until it's happening, like if God just intended to totally wipe them out, then I would say, tomorrow you're going now, <laughs> right? Tomorrow you've got uh, 23 hours in this place burning. No, it's 40 days. It's kind of an invitation to potentially change. And then this word overthrown is very interesting. Um, the, the Hebrew here is probably better translated overturned. And so it, it does mean to destroy. Like in those days when you destroyed a city, it looked like it was overturned because it was like rubble. You know what I mean? But it also can imply like 40 days until Nineveh is turned over. Like we might say turn over a new leaf. And we have an image that's also like a positive image of turnover. So there's a subtle thing going on here in Hebrew that, uh, that maybe suggests that, that Nineveh's got a shot. 
And to our great surprise, and even more Jonah's great surprise, maybe, they start to repent. They call for a fast. Uh, we Protestants aren't as in touch with this idea of fasting, but, but to fast is to deny yourself food and to deny yourself things that you want in recognition that what I really want and need is something other than just what I think I need and, and feel I need in the moment. It's meant to deny yourself so that when you feel hungry, you, you realize, I need to hunger for things that are much more important than a cheeseburger, right? It's not like a, we talk about fasting a lot, like intermittent fasting, something just related to diet. That's not what we're talking about here. Fasting is denying yourself so you see what's really important. Sackcloth is a similar image. Okay, sackcloth was, uh, it was what they would build sacks out of, right? So it wasn't necessarily like a smooth material. It was really rough. Um, so, so probably the closest approximation, and you might start to understand maybe where we're going with some of what's in your bulletin, right, is, is burlap. It's like sackcloth is a very, very itchy kind of burlap. Okay, not very structured, not very smooth. And so you'd put on sackcloth and you'd feel the itchiness. Okay, and it was part of feeling your regret, feeling your sorrow, feeling, um, feeling your mourning. There were lots of uses of it. But the idea was to help you feel on the outside what you're emotionally feeling on the inside. Now, what's interesting about this is that the text says everybody's doing it. Like they believed God. And so everybody, from the greatest to the least, start fasting. They start putting on sackcloth. They start actually responding to this message from this crazy prophet that just walked from another country into theirs and started preaching. They respond. And it doesn't stop there. Verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. Same word, arose, that we've used of Jonah and God calling Jonah. He removed his robe and covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered in sackcloth and, and, and let them call out mightily to God that everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So, so this change is happening from the least to the greatest all through this great city, so much so that the word comes back to the king of Nineveh. And he arose. This is, a, this is such a great word in, this, in Jonah. There's, there's so, much, so many word plays. But if, if you remember, God says, arise, go to Nineveh. And Jonah arose and went to Joppa, got in a boat somewhere else. And then just now, God said, arise and go to Nineveh. And it says, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. So here we have the king actually responding to God like you're supposed to. Get up off your laurels and go. The king does this. Remember, th this is kind of funny. What did Jonah do? He arose and went the other way. And even when he does go, you're going to see in the next chapter, he goes with bitterness. He goes not really wanting to be there. So, so where Jonah doesn't want to arise, he does not want to do what God wants him to do. The king of Nineveh does it immediately. 
He puts on sackcloth, and he goes one step further, sits in ashes. Again, that's a symbolic way from the outside to help you get in touch with what you're feeling on the inside. The grief of repentance. And he makes a decree saying, everybody's going to do this. Not just everybody, all their animals too. (laughs) I want to know where they had all this sackcloth. We got to put sackcloth on our cows. We got to put sackcloth on all the sheep. That's a lot of sackcloth. Okay, but the, we're going to all be in mourning, all of us. Why? Because who knows? Maybe God will respond. Maybe God will relent. Calls the whole city into repentance and even acknowledges in that, telling everybody to turn from their violent ways. He, the, did you catch that? He knows what they're doing wrong. Okay, Jonah didn't say that. Jonah just said, 40 days, turn it over. The king says, Turn from your violent ways. The king actually gets it, what they need to repent, relent, to move away from. And at this point, I think I need to make sure and define a little bit the term repentance. doesn't use the term repentance here of Ninevites, but I think you're catching a little bit what the meaning of repentance is. And, and as Presbyterians, we're not used to talking about this, so here we go. Okay, in... The, in, a, in a lot of traditions, like the Catholic Church, you have what's called confession. Some of you were raised Catholic, you did this. You went and talked to your priest, and you confessed your sins before the priest, and uh, he normally had you do something or say something, or, and then absolved you of your sin. Now, we in the Presbyterian Church don't do that. And um, I'm glad. I actually don't want to hear all your sins. Like, that's not really appealing to me. I don't have that kind of time, Right? But, uh, but I think in the Protestant church, we have lost the idea of confession. So what we often do is we have prayers of confession sometimes in church. Um, we confess that we are sinners, like broadly. But there is something powerful about naming the particularities of your sin. But that is confession. Repentance is something else. It's something a little further. Okay, so to repent is not to say you're sorry or to confess. Okay, that, that's not repentance. That's just confession. That's just saying you're sorry. That's just agreeing with God that what you did was wrong. To repent is to turn. To repent is to relent. Okay, to repent is to say that was wrong and I'm not doing it anymore. Or I was wrong to not do that and now I'm going to do it. To repent is to turn. Okay, when you see hear the word repent, think relent. Okay, I'm going to relent. I'm going to go the opposite way. Because it's quite possible to confess your sins and then keep doing them. Okay, it's quite possible to say, I'm sorry I did that, and then do the same thing tomorrow. Okay, repentance is that next step where you actually turn from where you were. I had a friend in college who uh, used to get in trouble, uh, and I'm not going to confess all his sins to you, but he would, he would work, use substances he should not have been using or be around girls he should not have been around. And then he would often come to me and confess. Was, and he would tell me a lot of stuff he was doing. And what I realized over time was he would just do that every so often. And it was always the same stuff. You know what I mean? It was a different girl. It was a different party. It was the same stuff. And what I started to realize was that he was actually confessing to me 
to remove the guilt so he could feel better, so that he could keep on sinning. Right? And what I eventually said to him is, don't do that. I don't want to be a part of you feeling better about the stuff you shouldn't be doing. Stop confessing to me. I don't want to hear your confession anymore. He had confession, but his confession actually just helped him keep sinning. It didn't help him change. I actually needed to say, stop confessing to me and give him a chance to repent, to actually change behavior. Did everybody see the difference? So critical, because I know plenty of Christians that know they shouldn't be doing stuff, and they may even feel bad about it, and they keep doing it. <laughs> right? You can be sorry, you can confess. Repentance is to turn the other way. And Nineveh is calling for that. The repentance of Nineveh, it, it, they don't actually, they, they in this passage, in, in the, with the sailors, they end up calling God by the divine name, Yahweh. Nineveh doesn't use the name Yahweh. They just use the Hebrew name Elohim, just means God. So they don't become Jewish. They don't come to faith, right? They don't become Christians for sure. That's like a, couple, like a thousand years later, okay? Um, they, but they do start to repent of what they're doing. So the people repent, the king repents, the nobles repent, the cows and the sheep are in sackcloth and not eating. They're repenting. But, but I want to just point out the irony here. That one person that has not repented at all yet really is Jonah. Okay, now Jonah did finally do what God told him to do. So I guess you could say in some ways he repented. But wait till you see the next chapter and you see Jonah's heart about this. He is not into this. And when you read the prayer we read last week, never does Jonah say he's sorry. Never does he confess. In fact, he seems to go out of his way to not promise to go to Nineveh. Like God has to ask him again. And there was, Jonah's on a ship. The ship is threatening to throw, fall apart. And Jonah could say, all right, God, I'll go to Nineveh. I'm sorry. But what does Jonah say? Throw me overboard. Okay. Okay, Jonah's in the fish, and he could say, God, I'm really sorry. I'm going to go do what you said. What he says is, I, whatever I vow from here on, I will do. And he tries to like almost pretend like maybe God didn't remember what he told him. In this story, the sea is listening to God. The fish is listening to God. The king is listening to God. The cows are listening to God. Who's not listening to God? Jonah. He's like barely scraping by. <laughs> he is barely scraping by on his listening. Now, funny thing, God's still using Jonah. Like God's not waiting for Jonah to get perfect before God uses him. God is like using this messed up prophet, this reluctant prophet, to actually have people repent and change. That's, that is hope for the rest of us, right? <laughs> Like, you can have the doubts of Jonah, and God still use you. Isn't that good news? You don't have to be perfect for God to use you. Great news. Also, Jonah's kind of an idiot, right? Like, that's the other side of this, is all these characters listening to God, natural phenomena listening to God. Jonah's not really happy about it. You're going to see that in the next chapter. Then God responds, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. 
Everybody, this is a really weird turn. Because that word relent, that's the word repent. It's the same word. So actually, the text doesn't say that Nineveh repents. I mean, they are, but they don't, don't use the term for that. Actually, it uses that term for God. That God was going to do one thing, and he responded to what the people did and decided to do something else. Now, this is always tricky because there are some people who really want to talk about the sovereignty of God, that God does what God wants, and we are all stuck, right? That we, we, go, we are just going to go with whatever the sovereign God wants. And, and to them, this text is kind of tricky. So I've heard people try to say, well, God knew that he wasn't going to really do it. I mean, maybe there's some hints. I said there may be some hints to grace in this passage. But I, but I also think part of the message of the passage is that when you repent and you relent, God responds to that. So what do you, what do, you do theologically with God responding to us? Does that hurt the sovereignty of God? I don't know. That, that tension just is in this passage. What I do know is I, I really am, I throw my life on the hope that God forgives I throw my life on the hope that I don't have to be perfect. That God, even if I mess up my repenting and my relenting, that God's grace is still for me. That no matter where I go, I can't outrun God's grace. Like that, and I need that. I don't know about you. I need that. Like the only way to read the story is that genuinely, that Nineveh has a genuine repentance and relents, and therefore God Relents of the destruction. Now, lest you think too highly of Nineveh, that this doesn't last. Okay, like on one hand, you got to know Nineveh is later also terrible, and eventually Nineveh becomes Babylon. Uh, this 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 whole thing just keeps going, and Israel does get really hurt by a lot of these people. Okay. Um, but also, lest you think it had no impact or is a fake story or something, you should also know that, that Nineveh in this area of what is modern-day Iraq has a long history of Jewish and then later Christian understanding. Okay, Up until Saddam Hussein kind of pushed a lot of those people out, there have been, there have been Christians and there have been Jews in this area. In fact, this is one of the areas where a lot of people argue that maybe the, the Magi come from. Okay, so there's a long-term history of, of there actually being an undercurrent of faith in this region that historically we also can't ignore. So what does this mean for today? Well, if you were raised Catholic, then, then you grew up with some of these terms, confession, repentance, all of those kind of things. If you were raised Presbyterian, you could easily skip Ash Wednesday services, because a lot of you did, right, until I served pancakes. Um, so it's easy to sidestep confession and repentance in church, it just is. And I don't think, I don't think we do that morbidly. I don't think we, I don't think we come to that like, oh, we got to beat ourselves up again for how wrong I am. No, I, I know the cross. I know the resurrection. So I don't repent without hope. I repent knowing I am already forgiven and God doesn't leave me alone to try to figure out how to deal with my sin. But the Holy Spirit is changing me and shaping me. But I do think there's something important to naming our sins. And I do think there is something important that we often miss to turning away from our sins. 
right? To saying, I was doing this and I'm going to change. And I don't do that by myself either. I ask God to help me with that. It's not all up to me to change myself, but there is something valuable that I think we often miss. That we can experience God's grace in a different way when we get a little more particular about our sins and our repentance. And then our gratitude for God change. If you ever talk to somebody who was, I did a funeral a couple weeks ago for somebody who was a, um, an alcoholic who had been clean for 23 years. And it was a celebration of that person was so that their life got spared. And they changed so many other lives along the way by taking them to meetings because they knew what they were saved from. They were trying to save other people, trying to care for other people going through the same thing. Some value about naming specifically your sins and repenting and then being grateful for it. 